welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Noisy Fulfillment for a Valentine's Day episode. Amanda Baum. Oh, the day of love, the best Hallmark holiday of them all. Oh, Amanda Baum. Um, so what did you love in your own noisily fulfilled life this week? Um, well, let me think. It was a short week mm. at school, which is nice, except when there's a full mm. moon. Um, it was a little crazy. We got a little crazy. We learned about... Um, we did Black History Month stuff this week and learned about some some African-American accomplishments in air and space. So that was really, really exciting to watch my students get to discover the first um, African-American woman to be hired as a scientist at NASA or the first African-American man to receive a pilot's license in the United States. So I have the chills. That was That's awesome. So cool. So cool. So much cool learning and discovery. Um what else did I love in my week? Well, I will tell you what I did not love in my week this morning or this afternoon. I came home to my 3D printed astronaut with an astronaut signature on the back, um, having been destroyed by Jasper. So that was my low point was just before getting on this podcast. It's like a, it really is like a bongo moment of eating something you're not supposed yes. to. What a bummer. At least we know that this isn't really your fault. You didn't put gravy on the back of it in the hopes that he would be attracted to it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So how about you? What was the, what was the highlight of your week? Well, it's going to be a shameless plug. The highlight of my week was my daughter and I getting our t-shirts from Spread Sunshine Tees, uh, which is Amanda's company, hey. and we're both wearing them right now, and I love it because we mini-meed. We did the whole mommy and me wearing the same shirt thing, and kids asked her about it all day at school. I'm just like, we could always oh. do better at everything we do. <laughs> yes, yes. And also, it raises money for jerky dogs like mine who chew up things and all I, I really love that I love that you uh choose a recipient to get um a portion of your proceeds I think that's awesome it's really fun um I actually went this week and delivered the check to the um to the local humane society that I raised money for with that shirt and there were so many puppies there and oh I don't know how you can work in a place like that and not come home with a thousand dogs every week. Mm, and I don't know that with how Jasper's going that you could do five more Jaspers, but <laughs> no more dogs at this time. No room at the That's end. why on Wisteria Lane you only see dogs when they are absolutely necessary because it is such a pain to wrangle them. If I've read anything more about that and babies and elevators in the Desperate Housewives book, that it's like impossible <laughs> and nobody wants to touch those scenes with a 10-foot pole. 
No, because they're unpredictable. Case in point, the butter last week and the astronaut this week. So today we're talking about episode 14, Love is in the Air, um, written by Tom Speziali. Is that how we decided to call that? That sounds good. And directed by Jeff Melman. And this is the second time that they've teamed up in season one. And this episode first aired February 13th, 2005. So the day before Valentine's Day. Hmm. Timely. We're timely with this one. Do you want to take us to a summary? Ooh. Um, so we've got a lot going on this week. We have um, the Scavo kids and their tiny crime ring throughout the neighborhood. Um, we, we meet a new character, Mrs. McCluskey. Um, we've got some more kind of Paul and Zach stuff going on. Um, we learn that, that Mary Alice, AKA Angela might've had a whole different life and a different career in another state, which is very exciting. Um, Gabby kind of ends up finding a new, a new way to make, help make ends meet at her at her house. Um, what else? We have we have Bree and Rex trying to make it work and smashing down some feelings. Mike and Julie are, are <laughs> sorry, Susan and Mike are um, having an uncomfortable conversation in their relationship. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of the roundabout way to talk about what's going on. I think you are right every single week because every single week everybody has something else going on and the way that the mm-hmm. the plots for all of the housewives converge is through mm-hmm. the episode right or through the episode title and so love is uh, love is in the air um john paul young 1978 i pulled out this these lyrics um that i think are the most telling and the most holistic from looking at at all okay. of the all of the storylines coming together Um, And I don't know if I'm being foolish, don't know if I'm being wise, but it's something that I must believe in and it's there when I look in your eyes. And it was somewhat, I mean, it's touching. And and if you listen to the song, because just because of how it's sung, it feels positive. But those lyrics are actually a little bit dark, right? It's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to believe this. And if I do, am I stupid to believe this? I don't know if this is really the best thing for me to be doing right now, but mm. I almost have to take a leap of faith and hope that what I'm seeing is going to work out for me. And we see it in different ways or what I'm doing is going to work out for me and we see it in different mm. ways. And so I'm excited to, to break that down with you. Just out of curiosity, who do you think of first? Um, which storyline do you think of first related to the song? I know who I think of Immediately right away. Susan. Okay. Yes, exactly. Our girl Susan. Whew. Can't wait to talk about her Me this too. Week. So in the cold open, we have that children are a gift from God. At the same time, they make you stupid gifts and you have to love them. How did that make you feel as a mom of a little? So as a mom of a little and a minimalist, it's really, really hard to find places for the Chris, yeah, Over the Christmas seven. tree ornaments that you don't love or don't go with your theme that year, and it's, yes, they don't, they don't match. I, your okay, status. fine. You put it on the back of the Christmas tree. The back of my Christmas tree is this big picture window, so the whole world sees the other side of my Christmas tree. 
So, you know, we found other solutions. Like she has her own tree that she puts those things on and, Mm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I get it completely because you don't want to hurt your child's feelings any different than being a teacher, really. Your students... With all the pictures of all the things and all the... Like, there's not enough scotch tape in the world to put up everything. Or your students give you... I remember one year, one of my students gave me jewelry and it was like cheap jewelry why would they buy me jewelry anyway but I'm particularly sensitive to it what is it um I can't remember it's not zinc whatever they make kind of that um semi-precious jewelry out of I'm pretty I'm pretty sensitive to it so I'll get an ear infection really really quickly it'll Okay. Same. Oh my gosh. My, yeah. Like oozing my ears oozing and like eats away at the earring. And so it's super sweet when your kids buy you things where, yeah, when your students buy you Mm -hmm. things, when your kids make you things. And then I feel ungrateful because I don't want it on the front of my Christmas tree. Or uh, I think of an episode of full house where Stephanie makes this ungoshly sweater that aunt Becky said she loved, but it was a lie. And then aunt Becky won't wear the sweater and has to finally admit that she doesn't like the sweater. It is. Yeah. It's tough. Oh, aunt Becky admitted. <laughs> she admitted oh, a lie. That's good. Okay. Got it. Uh, that's good. Not Lori Laughlin. Just, just aunt, aunt Becky. Becky. <laughs> um, some friends and I, the first time we ever, I ever thought about doing a podcast before mm-hmm. this one. Um, some teacher friends and I started a podcast called if mugs were okay. money. You always because get a mug. when you're a teacher, like there's never a year where you don't get a mug as yes. a gift. That is fair. So if mugs were money, I'd be a millionaire. That's a great title of a podcast too. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, back to that, right? Ooh. This week, Lynn, yeah. Lynette Speaking loves the fight. Finally, loves a gift. She's suffered through macrame crap. And macaroni crap and all sorts of crap. And this week mm-hmm. she loves the clay pot her children give her. And they say they made it themselves. But apparently they stole it from Mrs. McCluskey. Okay, Lynette. Mm-hmm. Come on, sis. Where would those boys have made that item where you wouldn't have been involved in transporting it? And would they have let like, it dry it- before they gave it to you? I know these kids. Right. And where would they have got that plant that was so lovingly potted in there? Like Tom, I think they were primroses. I was trying to figure out if they were primroses or um, geraniums. It looked to me like Hmm. a primrose, but like, unless Tom was involved in it, but like, what are the chances of Tom like remembering and having Mm -hmm. the boys make something? So come on, Lynette. Um, Also. So, so Mrs. McCluskey, our new friend, Tells us that she got it on her trip to Costa Rica. And my question for you is, do you say Costa Rica or Costa Rica? Costa Rica. Okay. Same. She's a different generation than us. They say That's true. Things. That's true. She has a generational accent. Uh, yes. And an unwillingness okay. to pronounce things differently. Um, so we've already so our, kind our of talked about this. Yeah. Our, new character. She's been in a million things yes when I looked her up on IMDb she was the mom she was um Chaz's mom in Wedding Crashers all uh, Will Ferrell's character the like the dirt bag that lives in is that's yelling at his mom about the meatloaf I love that that's I her. love that you did a deep dive what else do you want to share that she was in um she's in Grey's Anatomy yes she I can't remember what else but she's been in like 
a, a huge amount of things. And when you look her up online, like she passed away and there's a lot about her passing away. Well, and, and it, it will dovetail very interestingly for Desperate Housewives, that passing. So I can't wait to get there with you years from now, because that is a a ways away, but I can't wait to revisit that. And yes, she becomes a, a really cool recurring character. I like her. Love it. You've already touched on this a little bit, but no, Tom did not remember it was Valentine's Day. No. Nope. Duh. So we have all the men of Wisteria Lane. We kind of get the glimpse into what they're doing to prepare for Valentine's Day. And we see that Carlos has a card and he's writing it out. They didn't mm-hmm. have shipped back then or Instacart or Postmates. Did make- yeah. Did she have to go buy did her he make own it card? Out of some con- did he have construction paper at the house? It looked, I thought it looked more commercial than that, but... It did. Okay. It did. I was being a smart mouth. Oh, okay. But even cuter if he did not, you know what? I don't know. That would be lost on Gabby. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Work. yeah. But you could yeah. talk to, well, before a certain scene, you could have asked Yao Lin to go do it, but nonetheless. That's that's what I was going to say. Oh, I was like, sorry. well, Yao Lin, but oh, is she still employed at this time? I think yes. At the beginning. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're fine. Yes. Um, Rex has a, has a beautiful arrangement of flowers and candy. Mm-hmm. Mike's making dinner reservations, which that is the way to my heart. Yes. 100%. Yes. That I, we're going to have food tonight that I didn't have to cook and I don't have to taste my own cooking. I'm in. Or or I love to go out to eat and I am constantly searching for new places, but I love when somebody's like, hey, this is what this is where we're going to go as long as it's not one of the places I don't like. But I mean, I love when somebody else does the thinking. You like when someone else does the cooking and I like when someone else does the thinking. I like both. So I can take that. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, the women are talking about how Zach apparently killed his baby sister, Dana, and mm-hmm. back to the discussion of why Mary Ellis called herself Angela on the tape in her therapist's office, which we haven't revisited in forever. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. I was really impressed. Um, Susan came with all the details, like Harriet the Spy style, talking about how, you know, if you loved somebody that much, you would have pictures and there's no pictures of other kids in the house. Correct. I, I thought that that was shocking that Susan had the wherewithal to notice everything in that house. But oh. I agree. Um, yeah. Felicia Tillman comes over to Paula Young's house with a bouquet of flowers and balloons that had been delivered by accident to her house. Uh, they're supposed to be for Mary Alice. And apparently Paul had a standing order. First of all, I think that's brilliant. I yes. think that is brilliant. And we should do it for every single birthday and everything. Because I have been known to forget, like, a nephew's birthday is coming up. I'll remember it. And then the day comes and I didn't buy something. Luckily, most mm. people in my family do their birthday parties the weekend after. And I appreciate that. Oh, nice. Nice. But I think that's that nice. is, again, fabulous order. A fabulous thing to have mm-hmm. a standing order for it. Um, and this is an interesting exchange, not only sad because he says, oh, flowers my wife's not going to get, but becomes even more interesting uh, with Felicia there. Want to take us into that? Yes, but also before it goes into what I think you're thinking of, I thought it was really interesting that Paul said to Felicia, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, your sister? And she's like, oh, her. Just... What a spiteful woman. What I got to know, are we eventually going to find out why she's so hateful towards her sister? 
we're going to find out a lot about Felicia, and I think the pieces are the, all there, but I don't know okay. if there's something specific to their relationship. Okay, looking forward to that. So she happens to see a family picture on the refrigerator and makes a comment about Angela Forrest that she worked with in Utah 15 years ago. And Paul gets real flustered, corrects her, and then stands in front of the fridge. Um, so we still don't know where they live, right? Yes, we know it's Fairview, and I don't even know if they've said Fairview yet, but we'll mm. never, ever find out what state Fairview is in. We've only ever talked about the oddity of it being somewhere Weather. near, somewhere in bus distance to New York, not too, but warm. not too far from Chicago where it never snows. Right. So, and nobody's dressed like it's really, really cold out in this episode in the middle of February. No, but we've seen different things there in terms of like roses blooming when they shouldn't be blooming, but I guess right. different climate till still. Lots of hot house, hot, lots of hot house flowers, but but also how weird that that Felicia's like, oh yeah, I worked with her in Utah. What are what are the like what are the chances somebody that you randomly work with in Utah, you're gonna end up running like being in their widow's house fifteen years later? And she's, like it just was such a plot hole for me. Such a plot hole. And she says it with such conviction. It's not. I think I know her. Um, mm -mm. this it was absolute adamant mm -hmm. not out of character for her she seems to be pretty no. she seems to be pretty convicted about assertive. everything yeah assertive mm -hmm. convicted about everything mm -hmm. but paul is flustered and he doesn't say something to the the effect of you that can't possibly be true it's mm -hmm. it's she's never been to utah know if you could ask my husband if I've ever been to Where Utah and he would know with absolute certainty anyway that's a good yeah that's a good point I think he would text me if somebody asked him that some, he would just text me what, what about Joe um I think Joe would I think he would be like well I don't think she's been there mm. but I could check right I don't I don't know that he would say I, I mean he know I think Outside of the continental United States. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I, I think he could say, like, yeah, no, she hasn't. Like, he knows I've never been to Ireland okay. or France. Okay. That's fair. So, but as far as in the United States, I mean, I lived in four whole other states before I was married to him. Sure. So he might have plausible so. deniability as opposed to my husband who would just be like, I'll ask her. <laughs> But I also think that you and your husband have been together yeah, that's true. through a younger part. Like yeah. I had, you know, how many adult years before I got married to Joe? Yeah, that's true. Well, how, okay. When did you get married to your husband? How old were you? I was 24. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. But Paul, he knows for a fact that she's never been to Utah. Never. Uh, and then it's just kind of an awkward, okay, well, see you later. Except Felicia doesn't get awkward. I just, she is convicted and assertive. You are right. So this is an awkward moment for her. She's just going to walk away from this interaction. Be like, what? okay, sure. Sure, buddy. Me Got it. Meanwhile, I would say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I must be mistaken. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would replay that interaction about how I was unkind for, for something um, that he's going oh. through a lot. 
That's your Midwesterner showing that Fair. you would apologize about it. That's true. And and uh, influence of uh, female culture is that mm-hmm. I should basically apologize for breathing. So. For existing. Yeah. For existing on this planet. Taking up space. Ooh, speaking of people who don't feel that they should apologize for anything, Gabby and Yao Lin are having a little bit of a of a time in Gabby's bathroom while Gabby's on the phone with her her manager that basically um knows that she's a little having some struggles being a human being. Um tell us about the tell us about this fun interaction. She starts off the conversation with her her agent manager or whatever it is, talent agent, saying, I wasn't being a diva as if that would be so out of character for Gabby to <laughs> Yes. And at the same time, she's asserting herself that he was making passes at her and therefore he deserves whatever he gets. And while I am totally there for that, having been through the the ass grabber Tanaka gate mm-hmm. and others, um, mm-hmm. it does feel like she would probably be a very high maintenance client to be placing. Uh, so I don't I don't begrudge him that she would be that she would be. A headache. A deep, yeah, a headache. A piece of work. Yeah, and yeah. that you'd have to you'd have to soften the blow to potential employers by saying she's good at blank, blank, and blank. However, here's the invoice for it. Here's what it costs, and it's not just in terms of the financial. There is a an emotional and a human capital that you will be paying out in in hiring yes. her. But yes. aside from that, with the Yao Lin of the whole situation. I think Yao Lin is fed up with working for Gabby because this, this woman in a dress on her hands and knees scrubbing mm-hmm. the tile floor in the same room. We've all, we already talked about that that we both have yeah. our houses clean and we just can't. It's nope. Yeah. Nope. It's a no for me. No, we oh, leave no. the room. We go somewhere else. I hide. I go to the park and sit in my car and drink my coffee. Yeah. yeah. Eddie. During the summer, I sit. I can see where I sit. Yes. Over like across the field or I stay up in my office. Like I don't remember the last time my office has gotten vacuumed mm-hmm. because now that we have this vicious dragon that lives at our house, um, somebody has to supervise while our house gets cleaned and it's in my office. So my office floor hasn't been vacuumed in months. So the power dynamic here, it, it seems to be like a real power struggle that Gabby says, clean that spot. And Yellen says, I'll get to it. And Gabby mm-hmm. says, clean it now. And it just becomes this asserting your dominance. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's super, for me, super awkward. But in yeah. in terms of Yao Lin asserting herself about, you're not better than me. The only reason you have anything is because you're pretty. Now, I want to be careful there because I would not be able to do the work of a model. It would not be in the things that I, the realm of possibilities, I'm not going to live that lifestyle, do that diet, do that workout. Those are things I'm not able to do. And also people looking at me all the time would be really weird for me. People, mm-hmm. people looking at me as a teacher for me is sometimes weird. And I just keep in mind that yeah. they're not looking at me because they necessarily want to look at me. It's that I have information to share with them and I can handle that. So I am yeah. not shaming models. I'm not saying that they don't work hard and do work that I could potentially not do in my opinion mm-hmm. so Yao Lin saying that the only reason Gabby has anything is because she's pretty off base there's some work there I do think though Yao Lin is watching Gabby primp and 
screen in front of the mirror a great deal. Like mm-hmm. what Yao Lin is seeing in Gabby all the time is just her maintaining her her image and her her youth and her mm-hmm. her skin and whatever. So, you know, if the only thing you ever see of somebody is them doing those things and obsessing about those things, like I can stare at my eyebrow in the mirror for 25 minutes and, and pick it apart. My students don't know that about me because they don't see it because they see me professionally. Sure. But somebody who sees you behind the curtain when you're at home, you know, it, I could see how Yaolin would have that impression because that's that's literally the only side of Gabby that she ever sees. And she she doesn't see kindness from Gabby. No. She sees she sees a lot of bitchiness from Gabby. Like I, I think, you know, Gabby's somebody who doesn't have control over much in her life. And mm-hmm. that's like the one space where I think Gabby feels like it's appropriate for her to assert that control, which is really uncomfortable and just is a good reminder that Gabby especially now feels really power powerless mm-hmm. and I think she does you can just watch her her face shift and I think this interaction is her trying to remind herself what it felt like to be who she used to be but I don't know that that's maybe that Gabby's best self no but it makes perfect sense Right. I, I completely agree that it's an opportunity to assert control again and to be, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. Now, in terms of Yao Lin feeling powerless at the whim of this person who is frequently unkind. And- well, and she's watched, she's watched Gabby be unfaithful to her husband. Like right. think about yeah, all has, the things. This goes right back to the don't, don't screw with your waiter. They're going to spit in your right. food. Don't screw with your pharmacist. They're going to poison you. Don't right. screw with your maid. They know everything about you. Everything. Everything. <sighs> the lack of and, respect. Like, I think back to Yaolin cleaning the banister with a sock to cover mm. up for Gabby's affair. Like this, like she, everything she's seen of Gabby is just not Gabby's best, best side. Not a good look for Gabby. Well, Yellen has apparently decided that she doesn't want this job anymore because those were the wrong words to say to Gabby. And I can't imagine that she didn't already know that before she mm-hmm. said them. And so Gabby fires her. And now Gabby's without a maid. I don't know if she feels like maids grow on trees, but. Yeah. And Yellen kind of double middle fingers her way out of that. It's fair. When Gabby tells her she's fired, Yellen's like, mm-hmm, bye. And no kidding. Like. <laughs> I completely acknowledge that I'm going to be fired, but at least I got my words in. Worth it. Uh, it's a rage quit. A rage yes. Yeah. It happens. It happens. Mm. Take us over to mm. Susan and Mike. So Susan and Mike are talking about their Valentine's plans while um, Lynette's kids are hiding out from Lynette mm-hmm. because she they, they know that she knows about the stolen pot so mike has a really cute moment with him where he says you know best to go home and take your i, I can't remember he, i don't think he said licks i think he said lumps. What, lumps go home and take your lumps there's a chance you'll still get to play the rest of the afternoon and gives them this this piggyback ride now he only got two of them on his back i have to believe with the scavo kids the one that didn't make it on his back would have not just calmly walked alongside <laughs> him the way that they showed it but anyway um, he makes a comment about how he can't wait to have kids of his own someday. And apparently this is news to Susan. Yeah. When in a relationship do you talk about 
children or not children? Um, I know. So Joe has kids from a previous marriage and yeah. I know he's 10 years older than me. So mm-hmm. we talked about it right away. Okay. It was one of those things where, you know, we started dating when I was at 30 and he was 40 and it like tick, 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 you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so for us, it was right away, but I think, I think for a lot of people, it's an uncomfortable situation to talk about it. And so you kind of wait until you trust that that person, that you can make it out alive from that conversation, I think. Sure. And would you equate the age you and Joe were to, what, what relation would you put that to where Mike and Susan probably are? That's so funny because in my notes, I literally have, how old do you think Mike and Susan are? Yeah, because, I mean, if Julie's 14. Right. But Susan could have been, Susan could have been 17 when she had her. For sure. I don't know that answer. I don't think she was. I don't think she was because I think she and Carl were like married and grown up, like grown up ish. Mm-hmm. Right. When they had Julie, um, I, I would bet that they're mid thirties. So I would say I've always thought of Susan as being like between 38 and 40, just because of how yeah. old Julie is. I don't know how long she and Carl were married, but I feel like, she had already finished college, so I was just adding mm-hmm. to that, and I don't know how mm-hmm. they met necessarily, and I don't know the difference between their ages, if they would have po- mm-hmm. potentially met in college, but I would have said 38 to 40, so yeah, I, that's fair. I would imagine that if that were a conversation that maybe this is exactly the right time for them to be talking about it, I guess I don't know mm-hmm. how long they've been together either. It's Valentine's Day, and we assume that this started kind of around September because that's when the the show started and that's that's right. kind of how the progression has gone. So if that's the case, they've been together for four months. Four months, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's. I mean, and they're and they're not twenty. No, so right. It's not like they have their timeline would be pretty compressed. So apparently, this is the time that that's going to get yeah, brought now. up. Yeah, the time's now. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll circle back. Um, over at Lynette's after the boys return, she says she's going to spank her boys for stealing and she puts out the possible utensils that she could use, tools, I suppose, that she could use to spank the boys for stealing. It's heavily implied that this is a bluff and is something that the boys do believe though. The boys believe she's going to do it and she seems to say my hands are tied. You do this, you do that. I I don't have any choices. However, I suppose for first-time offenders, an apology note might buy you out of this trouble. I'm supposed to believe that this is the first time that they've ever done anything like this. Perhaps they're three different, or I guess two (laughs) two ages. Yes, because you're twins. Five and six. Yeah. Yes, and we do know we do find out later on in the in the episode that this isn't indeed the first time that this has happened. But, but... maybe that was the first time, and the other ones were the subsequent. We won't won't get a great timeline on that, but mm-hmm. maybe the mm-hmm. maybe they assume she doesn't know that, and therefore take your first offense. And the boys right. do agree to write apology notes. In- to Enthusiastically, <laughs> yes. she's got the notebooks right there and ready. She sells this really well, like. This woman does not mind playing hardball. We saw it with her and the nanny, the nanny mm-hmm. theft. Um, she's she's for real. And 
she gets this smug look on her face and one of the twins says, mommy, why are you smiling? Like these kids are smart. They are. They notice. They are. And so you'd think that the, if this were an ongoing threat that they know becomes an idle threat mm-hmm. and we know as teachers how effective those are, Oof, you do bad. this one more time. If I do this one more time, you're not going to do anything because you haven't done anything the last 72 times or you overreact yeah. because it is the 73rd time and you're over it. But part of that is on you because you didn't follow through. So, yes. And I remember I, still to this day, I remember the two times that I got spanked. Nice. Yeah. Want to share? One of them was um, I was, I really wanted these glow in the dark footprint stickers that were in the Captain Crunch box. And I don't like Captain Crunch. Okay. I, I love peanut butter, mm. but Captain Crunch feels like you're sh- like putting a cheese grater on the roof of my mouth. And I just really wanted these stickers. And so I made a bowl of cereal, a big bowl of cereal and took it upstairs and dumped it down the toilet. And my dad caught me and I got spanked. And then another time I wouldn't eat my food, like my mashed potatoes and my peas were touching on my plate and I wouldn't eat the line of peas that was touching (laughs) the mashed potatoes. And I must've, I must've been a real jerk or my mom was having a day because I remember getting spanked for that. Wow. Did you learn your lesson? Um, I, yeah, I take less food on my plate and make sure it doesn't they don't touch. touch. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Warren feels your, your vibe there. He can't have his food touch either. Only on Thanksgiving. Okay. I can touch on Thanksgiving. That's okay. when it's appropriate. I was going to say, we could get you the plates that don't allow anything to touch. Seriously, if you have like macaroni and cheese or like gravy that touches salad though, mm-mm, oh no, no, I agree. You're right. That's the line where I won't touch that. That lettuce leaf will just go to the side. I won't eat it. Or like Mr. Bomb will eat um, pancakes that have touched the yolk from his sunny side up eggs. And I don't believe egg yolk belongs on pancakes. No, that's one of those things that I'll never know because I don't eat egg yolk. <laughs> oh. All the things that I don't eat. Oh my gosh. Um, over in therapy, we haven't been back to therapy in a while. So it's nice to see no. Dr. Goldfine. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So Bree's really excited about an upcoming dinner party she and Rex are hosting. Seems that this is literally the highlight of Bree's life is mm. a dinner party, especially when she gets to serve duck on the good china. Um, so Dr. Goldfine is is like, so everything's fine. You guys have worked it out. And Bree basically says she's taking her feelings and putting them in a box and she won't, in an imaginary box and she won't look at them for a while. And um, she shares that Rex still won't share what's missing from their sex life and that she's worried about that. And um, basically tells Dr. Goldfine there are wasps and not acknowledging the elephant in the room is what wasps do best so he keeps kind of saying like are you sure like this is what you want like are this is okay with you and she's like this is what my people do this is a cultural choice dr goldfine and i don't appreciate you questioning my people's practices um i'm okay compartmentalization actually does have a true function in our lives right it allows us to put things away and deal with what we have to in the moment and as teachers Mm -hmm. um having served in other capacities where I needed to be a trauma-informed caregiver, you can't fall apart sometimes. There are times when you absolutely just have to get it together and then you have to go deal with your emotions later. So I'm all for putting something in a box as long as you come back to it. 
Yeah. But I think the implication here is very clear that Brie has no intention of revisiting this. And it's ironic to me that when Dr. Goldfein says, you found a way to deal with his infidelity, and she says, no, I'm just going to put it in this box and not revisit it for a while. And at the same, and out of the same, or the opposite side of her mouth, she says, but he won't tell me what it is he's not getting from our sex life. She's obviously still bothered about it. Well, and she doesn't seem to see the connection that he won't divulge that to you because you don't deal with feelings or you are, you're unwilling to engage in certain areas. So it's not a stretch for Rex, the tool and his toolbox to not necessarily have trust or faith in the fact that you can handle this or that you're going to be willing to engage with this at all. Yeah. Yeah. I call that not feeling the feelings. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is what we have to do. Like right after my, my long, long, long living um, dog passed away Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Like I was still super sad about it when I went back, when I went back to school and like, I I wasn't going to feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. We weren't, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. So that's because otherwise you'll fall apart yeah. sometimes. But when you get home in your safe space with your partner that you're supposed to be able to be super honest with, you that can't be the strategy for all the time. Right. If you want to have a, a situation where you feel like you can be open and honest about things. So. And it must be really hard for Dr. Goldfind because he really, mm-hmm. he must have seen this a thousand times with them, let alone with yeah. other clients. That, that must be what's really a struggle about being a therapist is I've seen this so many times. I could write the mm-hmm. story myself 80 times. And if Brie were honest, she can write the end of the story a thousand times. Yes. So let's rewrite she says, it. She says she'll forgive Rex in a few decades, which is going to work for her as long as she can keep having dinner parties Aww. and using the good china. Yes. I guess that we should address that too in terms of, the cost benefit of these relationships, that's hard for me to quantify. It's worth it if, and then insert dinner parties. Um, yeah. 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 I can't see that as being a reason to, to suffer and be in a situation with a person that you don't have a hundred percent trust with so that, so that you're able to entertain. But I, but I guess there's probably plenty of people who, stay in a certain Mm. situation because of the different lifestyle benefits that it affords them. I just, that's not the life for me. I wonder if Brie has enough confidence in herself that people would want to attend her dinner dinner parties, even if she wasn't married. Because I'm going to a Brie Vandekamp cooked meal. 100%. I bet the reason that she, I, I don't think she's even thinking that two steps ahead. I'm thinking she wouldn't want to have a dinner party solo because she doesn't want to have to explain that something went on in her life that wasn't perfect. Like it just gives too many, it gives a, it gives a look behind the curtain um, in a, in a wizard of Oz sort of metaphoric way where somebody might realize that she and Rex aren't actually together. You know, she's not even, she's not even talking to her friends about it. We saw her kind of, gloss over that when Lynette brought it up. Was it Lynette that brought it up? Yes. I think it was Lynette that yeah, brought it you're up. Absolutely yeah. right. So she doesn't want to have to answer questions. So the best way to do that is to not entertain people in her home where they see that she's not in a happy marriage. Mm. 
Well, I'm sure this will come back up at some point in the episode. You think? <laughs> and I have a good story when it does. So let's let's go to Gabby and her next job at a mattress store, um, laying on a bed, trying to get people to buy beds. Is this a thing? I have never, ever seen that. And it would be so cringe for me that if I were shopping for a mattress... Um. That I it, I would just turn around and leave, and maybe that's on me. Yeah. And specifically, no, man, I don't need to see Gabby in that bed as I'm shopping for a mattress with my husband. No, I can't. I'm not giving you any bear. unrealistic expectations of what happens. In the no, bed. oh my gosh, no, and I cannot handle a bare mattress anyway. Oh like, yeah, I can't. Oh, little no. Mm-mm. Oh, fair. And watching all those people like. When you, we bought a bed last year and when you go to buy a bed, there's like a cover on it and like a, like paper or plastic or something where your feet go. And just watching all of these people climbing in this bed, laying next to Gabby and it's a bare mattress. I was like, I can't watch. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I'm sure this job is going to go just fine, but we're not there yet. So (laughs) back over at Karen McCluskey or sorry, Karen McCluskey walks right into Lynette's house looking for her wall clock her son made for her because if they stole the pot, I know anything else that I'm missing is probably here too. Um, she's also angry that the boys did not apologize in person. And I believe she refers to them as criminals oh, in yes. this segment. Yes. She does. Let's talk about, so, so Lynette lets the boys know, like we hear her say, and you know, this is mommy's arch enemy back in the spanking. Oh scene. yes. I can't imagine whipping the door open and storming into my arch enemy's house to dig through their thing. Do you think Karen McCluskey knows that she's Lynette's sworn enemy? That's a good question. I I feel like we don't have enough backstory to know. Yeah, because this does seem, you're right. She does say that. She said, you made me look bad in front of Mrs. McCluskey, who you know is my sworn enemy. And also, Mm -hmm. is that why your boys targeted her shit? (laughs) Could be. (laughs) You're the mark they're, because they're doing their dirty work. When that, oh. <laughs> um, I, they use the quote, "Good fences make good neighbors." I, I mean, I've heard that in a couple of different contexts, but I don't know. I can't. I just can't imagine barging into someone's house like that. And they hurl some pretty ugly insults at each other. Um, Lynette, Lynette was about her. You know, well, are you sure? you're remembering it correctly because, you know, you're basically, you're old and losing your memory. And Yeah, you might be senile. You might be senile. McCluskey fires back, well, no offense, but you should be sterilized. Like, Oh, gosh. Oh. 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 Tells Lynette she's a bad mom and says they would have been better off being raised by wolves. At least they'd be cleaner. That, that's the end right there. No. That. Yeah. Wow, that is. Now That's you're my sworn like, enemy. Yeah. I can't imagine barging. I can't imagine barging into somebody's house. I wouldn't, I don't say those kinds of words to people. I just no. go, okay, all right, bye. And walk away. Like I will never engage with somebody like that. But her walk, walking into somebody's house and hurling insults like that is just some next level aggression. For sure. And I don't barge into anybody's house. Not even my friend's mm-hmm. houses. I really don't. Mm-mm. Maybe it's because of COVID and the last two years I haven't really been in people's houses. I don't know. But the 
the place where the place that it occupies for me is that yeah I opened the door and you just came right on in and then I get worried about what happens when you're in my house like if she throws a punch at Miss McCluskey you know mm-hmm. I mean no matter what you're wrong she's an older woman and I, I again I think that just speaks to a generational change too about some people just feel totally entitled to barge into your house and tell you your children would be better raised by wolves um, there, and you should be paralyzed. There's a yo, yeah. There's a moment in a movie called Focus with Will Smith and Margot Robbie. I love the movie. And there's an older mentor in the movie, and he says, "I really don't like the. I think he calls it the the informal, the Sunday nature of your whole generation makes me uncomfortable. If you want to tell a guy he's an asshole, just tell him he's an asshole. Don't say, hey, that's a great shirt.'" And I, I don't know why, but that just sums it all up for me. Like, yeah, Karen McCluskey is just going to tell you you're an asshole. And like yeah. Susan and the other woman might say, that's oh, a nice shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That'll, mm-hmm. we'll get back to them, right? Um, because we've not, we've not seen or heard the last of Mrs. McCluskey and the wall clock. But what's happening next with our friends? So Brie and Rex discuss Valentine's Day and having sex. And Brie asks Rex if he's looking forward to it. And she says, I know you're unhappy with our sex life. So are you really looking forward to having sex? Is there something you want to talk about? And he does open up to her. He does. He says he likes to be dominated and... She seems like she wants to understand. So Rex gives us an example of what he needs. And how, does Brie respond favorably to this? I have to ask a question, though. In terms of the example he shows, it's just other people. It's just porn, right? It's not. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get the. I, I didn't get the impression that he and Maisie have some videotapes out there somewhere that no okay just no I, I, no I got the impression okay. he just pulled some VHS out VHS how quaint some purchased some some purchased VHS tapes so Bree's response is what did your mother do to you that this is pathological and this is obviously a manifestation of something terrible that's happened to you in your childhood and you know, we're not going to sex shame because people are into all sorts of things that have absolutely nothing to do with their parenting mm-hmm. and a thousand other things. But Brie is not willing to entertain that. Like, you are sick. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with you. And it's not shocking to me that Rex hasn't felt comfortable having this conversation with her. No. So I have a story. Okay. I'm in. Okay. So um, last year... There was something, I can't even remember what it was that I was looking for, but we have a room, we have a spare room that my husband uses um, kind of as like his closet. So there was something that I needed and he told me where it was and it was in this room. So I went up to look for whatever this item was and I saw this red thing that I thought was like a running belt because we have we have a red running belt that has like a black strap. I'm fascinated. So I pick it up thinking it's this red running belt and this red like fabric unfolds Hmm. and it's in the shape of like a wide, like it's a rectangle, but then it has like a little 
triangle at the bottom, kind of like a bodysuit with a snap. Okay. Like it looks like a leotard, but then there's like this black cord with a buckle. And I go into full panic mode, like, what in the holy hell is this item? I've been married to this man for 14 years. What did I just find? Stumble upon. But also, did he leave it out for me to find? How am I going to ask him what this is? Oh, like I'm, this is my process right here, right? Like, oh my God, the way that I respond to this, the way that I ask him about this could color our whole entire marriage. Or if there's something that he's experiencing that he's trying to tell me about, the way that I react to this could, I'm thinking about like parents who find out their kid is gay, right? And the way that they respond to their, their kid, finding out their kid is gay, their kid coming out can do a lot of damage. So I'm, I'm literally having this process in my head, like what, what has, what is going on for my husband that I just found out about? What does this mean for the rest of our marriage? How can I bring this up to him? It is a suitcase cover that he's gotten from somebody who wanted him to print a suit. Like it's literally a, a polyester suitcase cover that you would put. So I, he comes to the bottom of the stairs and he's like, Hey, did you find that thing? And I hold it up and I'm, I'm crying now Aww. because I'm so freaked out. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, what, what is this? And he, he starts laughing so hard. He like falls to the floor. So he, he's like, he got it. He got that. You thought it was, he saw in my face everything. And he's like, it's a suitcase cover. But I was like, how do like, how do I make this? Okay. Whatever this is, how do I make this okay for him? How did I not know? Like, what do I, what do I do? So I feel like that should have been more Bree's reaction. Like the what what's going on? How do I make this okay for you? How can we talk about this? How do I decide? I'm just being hit with this information. How do I decide if this is okay for me? Um, so I, I've been through that. It ended up literally being a suitcase cover, and we die laughing about it now because I was I was like contemplating the rest of my life over like something that's basically a big leotard for your suitcase. He had to put it on the suitcase to prove to me what it was, and it, it is in fact a suitcase cover. Um, so. Yeah, I just had to share that story. He said I could share it. I'm delighted that you shared that. Here's where I would have gone with it. Next is, what does it say about you, Amanda, that that's exactly where your mind goes first? I think it says that I... Am incredibly sex positive. (laughs) But also also that part of my daily working um, emotional processing is how do I protect the feelings of the person on the other side yes. of this interaction? Yes. So. No, I completely, I completely agree. And something that I responded to in there that was most succinct is how quickly I do the death spiral. When I yeah. see a threat to something, something that could potentially become negative, I've already done mm-hmm. all the work in my head and I've had the branching decision trees and it could yes. have been three seconds for somebody else. For me, I'm already 20 years in the future telling the story about how my life fell apart. This is why we are friends. I know it. So we I call that it. at my house playing the worst case scenario game. Correct. And I am 100% the best at what's the what's the worst thing that will happen and then what will happen after that. And then, and then, then where will we be and how will we come back from this? And yeah. 
great. Bree's not there yet. No, not She's yet. She's still very much in the moment, and it's somewhat counterintuitive for somebody who's been begging for this information, and then mm-hmm. she gets the information. I can't understand what she was seeking that she didn't go to some of these places already in her mind, mm-hmm. because weeks ago we were talking about the the incident where she goes to the motel and she's wearing the lingerie in the fur right. and everything. I mean, that's pretty risque. It's sexy yeah. and un apparently. Right. Like something she hadn't done before. And then it turns out badly because of the burrito. But she goes home, cleans the house, and says, take me here. And right. is so adamant about it. And yet, this seems to be a complete regression on that. Um, I get some level of joy out of the fact that he's like, yeah, I, I do like this. And so she slaps yeah. him and says, was it good for you? And is so dismissive. I mean, there's, 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 com- there's comedy in there, but it's also, I'm supposed to suspend disbelief because she's been asking for this information right. from Dr. Goldfine, from Rex. I can't mm-hmm. understand where her mind went and how she didn't Rachel and Amanda, the whole situation. What's the worst possible thing that he could be into. And apparently this is worse than that. Which is not. It's For like, sure. He could it's be, not a thing. No. Yeah. Um, I felt like this was also really, really raw. A really raw Brie moment, which she's she's sure. usually playing her cards close to the... Like, we don't usually see her be reactive, Expressive. I guess. This was mm-hmm. a super reactive response. Hmm. Yeah. Well, can't wait to see how we... Again, we're only in Act 2. What's going to happen? We're not there What's yet. What's going to happen? Yeah. Um, Susan tells Julie, again, the, uh, the epic relationship that they have, right? Susan tells Julie that Mike wants kids. And Susan says, I'm grateful that I had you, Julie, but I found having children to be totally overwhelming. There's a reason there's only one of you, most likely. Mm -hmm. And that it doesn't seem like she's very interested in that. And Julie's not surprised that Susan was overwhelmed, um, which I, you know, I think being a mom is probably overwhelming for every single person in the whole world. But for Susan to have to raise Julie without having Julie to be her confidant. I was literally. She needed, Julie, she needed a Julie while she was raising Julie. I was literally going to say that. If I were Julie, I'd be like, yeah, you're not having a kid because I'm not having a kid. I already have to bring in the Christmas tree and do all the work for everything else and take out the garbage. I'm not interested in having a baby. If I was interested, I'd have my own. Right. I, I think that Julie gives Susan, though, the best advice of tell him how you feel because if he really loves you, like, that's not going to be the deal breaker. Yeah. You know, good advice. I thought that was good advice. Shocking, as always, Julie. Mm-hmm. Julie for Julie the win. Bringing the, Julie bringing the good advice. Oh, we've got Mike, who's not really, not really worried about when he's going to be a dad because he's busy searching, in the words of the show, searching for answers in all the wrong places. Um, breaking into houses by picking locks. That's a skill. Right? That is us. Is that still a skill? In, Can you still pick a lock on a house? Well, here you go. We locked, I didn't lock myself out. My nephew locked us out of our house and it was a really weird door. It was a couple houses ago where it didn't have like a key. It was almost like a chamber or a bedroom door where you can just put a nail or Oh, uh, yeah. you know, a wire hanger in it. 
but it was one o'clock in the morning and we were exhausted. We just got back from back from a trip and I could not for the life of me get it to work. I'd done this up that this trick a thousand times and couldn't figure it out. So mm-hmm. that kind of lock, yes, I can still do that. Um, I am mm-hmm. told that my one of my friends told me that she can still do a couple of the locks outside locks at her, in her house with her credit card. What? I know. So I'm like, are you going to fix those locks? And no, I'm not going to tell you where my friend lives. No, don't. Um, but I, so somewhere, she lives somewhere in Utah. There you go. Fairview. You'll never find Fairview. Right. It's broad daylight out and Mike is picking locks. So he's, he's on another level. He is. Finds himself an older gentleman with a gun mm. who shoots him. <laughs> Just shoots him. And we don't know. Is this, is this a man who knows him? Is this a random stranger who's just protecting their domicile? We don't know. It doesn't. Um, but yeah, no, no information. Yeah, doesn't doesn't say. Gets Mike right in the right in the gut, and Mike drives himself to his house. Or no, he walks to his house probably because it's in the neighborhood. Um, oh, and I then, think he still gets in the truck because I think he's a little he further does, out. I feel yeah, like he, does he gets in. He gets in the truck. Mm-hmm. So maybe this person was a couple blocks over, but still in the same subdivision. Yeah. Yeah. So then we see Mike being tended to by who? So somebody who somebody, somebody who knows how to take care of this wound, but it doesn't seem like it's it's certainly not their first encounter with one another. So I feel like it's the the person in every breaking bad or every every yeah. drama that was going to be a doctor and lost his practice or is right. a veterinarian, but you know what? Veterinarian, exactly. Bod- bodies all work the same. He has... He has got a needle and thread. Put him to work. And he's not Fine. going to ask too many questions. Because right. he can't go to the right. ER, because that's going to nope. create a police report. So right. somebody who knows what he's doing, but he also says, this is bad. I'm not doing a great job, or this is not going to hold forever, you know. And right. he's like, and you ought, you ought to not go on this date. And he said, well, I can't have her be suspicious. And that was a little sus to me is mm-hmm. I can't have her asking questions or being suspicious. That one actually sounded a little, for, for as malignant as Mike gets, that one is a little suspicious. Yes. Yes. And Susan's, Susan's hot on his trail because she's calling him. She sees the light on and says, I'm coming over. Yes. And it's this mad dash about oh no you know I'll, everything's fine but don't come over yeah. no don't come over I feel like I need more information about this lock picking and breaking into houses story like I want to know was this man waiting for him or was he just did he just hear somebody breaking in and ran to the back bedroom and grabbed his rifle right I don't know well, I hope you get the answers you're looking for. And I hope Mike gets... I hope so, too. And I, I feel picking a lock and breaking into a house seems like a good way to get mortally wounded. Definitely. And sounds yeah. like you're well on the way to it, Mike. Way to go. Yeah. Good job, Mike. Mrs. McCluskey still hasn't found her wall clock, so there's a little bit of a skirmish. Lynette and Tom. Maybe Lynette and maybe Tom helping with the groceries, or maybe they both came home from grocery shopping. Not sure which. But Mrs. McCluskey sees these bikes in the street because Lynette's kids, this whole neighborhood is their yard. 
Um, and at the the driving over of the bikes by Mrs. McCluskey. Did she go over them? Yes. Drive over them, back up, and go over them again, yes. right? And so Lynette, yes. So Lynette becomes just in a red rage and pulls out eggs and starts throwing them at her neighbor. I have to say Mrs. McCluskey must know that her car can take it because I'm not wrecking my car or getting a scratch on my car if I don't have to. Certainly not to prove a point by going over these these bikes. So it's that idea of like, what do they call it? Biting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, it's good. And I guess I am impressed that she knows her car can take it. What would happen if I got that self-righteous about something and I did it, just say I did, my car would then not move and I would have to call. You'd be high centered. Yes. You'd be high centered on the bikes. I would have to call a tow truck from that moment and really it would just Mm -hmm. be the worst. So I just don't try to make um, big self-righteous moments like that happen for me because it doesn't work. Yeah, that's not good. This this was a really aggressive moment on both parts Mm -hmm. and like- the destruction of property, like, it's going too far. Yeah, Throwing an egg at somebody's face, like, you could put someone's eye out. Like, seriously, eggshells are sharp. Yes. Eggshells wreck paint on a car. Yes. So, that's, I don't know why it got so mean so quickly. Mm, I feel like it's years of hematomas and all the scarring, and now it's, like, exploding. It's awful. It's Vesuvius. Speaking of that... Uh, back at the mattress store, Gabby, laying on the mattress, puts up a sign that says, don't talk to the model. Um, I will, okay, I know I'm always on Team Gabby, the statutory rapist. Um, but in a previous episode, when she was doing the Buick lacrosse, I think it was. Oh, when her dress got stuck on the rotating seat. Yes, Will and I talked about this when he was filling in for you. She seemed to know a lot about that car. Like, she had to do some studying, and therefore I was saying she's not just a model. She's now, like, selling this car, and I've... Folks. folks yeah, I've, I've bought cars before, so I know that the person had to be able to tell me this would work, this would not, this isn't going to be a good fit for you for this reason. And right. apparently, Gabby has not been privy to that information with the mattresses. So, one, she's not qualified or able to tell them about the mattress necessarily from a sales standpoint and she's getting irritated even trying so she's put up the sign but that's rude I agree it's rude rude as f it's so rude and okay this mattress guy he seems like he's trying to make a nice working environment with birthday cake cake, coffee he's he says something about she doesn't even chip in for the cake and and Gabby says, well, I only just met her today. And he's like, yeah, but that didn't stop you from having a piece of the cake. Like if I'm going and and doing um, work someplace, like for example, if I'm coming to your class to present and one of your students has like, it's their birthday and everybody's chipped in on cake. If I'm a one-time in and out person who's like doing contract work, I'm not coming over to eat a piece of the cake unless your people push it on me and say, no, 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 we really want you to have it, which it doesn't seem like that was how that went down. No. So I feel like this guy's trying to make a nice working environment and a work family. And Gabby's Gabby's not in that mindset with this role. And it just, so it doesn't seem like it's the right place for her. And it's clear that he feels that it's not the right place for her either. And no matter how pretty you are, and no matter how much 
you know, maybe I want people fantasizing about this model laid on this, this mattress. He's not willing to accept that level of rudeness to his customers. And so Gabby is fired. Bye, Gabby. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't seem like she wants to be fired. Like, she's pretty, She's. we know she's desperate, but, like, if you're if you're desperate for the job, act like you want the job. Fair enough. She does say he says what you're not good enough for selling mattresses, and she says actually, or you're you're too good for selling mattresses, and she says actually I am. Apparently okay. so. I mean, again, it's great to have great feelings about ourselves, and she definitely has um, a lot of outward confidence in certain things. Yeah. So let's hope that that pays the bills. Oh, Tom heads out to the backyard, checks out the playhouse, and finds the loot. All of the neighborhood things. Things that they didn't even know were missing in the neighborhood. Finds the purple wall clock, of course, which we, let's be honest, we knew either she was going to find, Mrs. McCluskey was going to find it somewhere in her house, or the Scavo kids had it. I mean, there's not some busy raccoon that's going and grabbing all the things in the neighborhood. It's the kids. So whole pirate's chest full of booty. How are these kids sneaking into all these different places and taking all of these things? I agree. And are they getting tips from Mike about breaking into houses in broad daylight? Yeah. Who the heck knows? Real life. Um, yeah. How, why are these kids unsupervised for so long that they're able to go commit all of these thefts? Are they casing the joint different places? Like they know it's there. Are they like popping in and like Goldilocks and the three bears in it? Like what what's here for me that I might like? You know? Like what's You happening? hate to agree with Mrs. McCluskey, but my kid's not breaking into places. <laughs> There's no wolves running around anybody's house that I know of. So maybe the children are better. Oh, the raccoons. It, it's raccoons. Oh. Raccoons are thieves. They're trash pandas. So we get to go back to Felicia Tillman's house and Felicia Tillman, having seen this picture of who she thought is Angela, interesting name, uh, looks uh-huh. through her family albums and sees a picture of the staff from the Dorothy, Dorothy Drake Rehabilitation House. And she and Mary Alice, or at least somebody who looks a heck of a lot like Mary Alice, are in the picture together yeah. and she seems satisfied. Because she knew. I knew that was her. So, yes, she knew. She knew it. Um, Lots of photo albums, very organized. Mm. Everything very, very organized, very all labeled, pets and family and whatever. You're figuring her out. But I'm confused. Is she still at Martha's house or is she at her own house? She's She's at Martha's house because her house is in Utah. So has she moved all of her stuff to Martha's house? Like, is this where she lives That's now? an excellent question. Because... Because why would Those you have, yeah, why would album. you have that? Thank you. I didn't clock that. Why would you have your photo album with you on a trip? Right. Photo album. Yeah, you're right. Like many. Like yeah, volumes. she was looking through multiple of them. Fair. It was photo album encyclopedia. Um, I just, I was super confused about like, where are we? And why is all her, has she moved on to the Unless street? she sent pictures to Martha Hoover and Martha Hoover put them in albums. I can't think of anything else. That's I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't get it. And it don't yeah, get it. And, and it's before. I was, I thought it was really. I, I wasn't surprised that she was able to pull up that picture that, in fact, has Mary Alice in it. But it just seemed odd to me that, like, unless she has just flat out moved into her sister's house with all of her belongings, 
she's not traveling with her photo albums unless that's the most important thing on planet earth to her but it just seemed it was a lot of photo albums and we saw her get out of the the taxi cab she didn't have a lot with her no no Hmm. oh our girl gabby needs a pick-me-up so she goes shopping and wants a makeover Oh, but the the face cream she wants reminds her that that's not her lifestyle right now. So she decides so that she can be next to all the beautiful powders and lotions and brushes. She's going to get a job at the place that seemed a little bit like a Sephora to me. Um, Who shows up for a makeover? Yao Lin. Yao Lin. Yao Lin, of course she does. Oh, and of course, this is, you know, honestly, it's a good fit. This is something that Gabby knows a lot about, right? These are products that she yes. probably uses and is able to to talk to with some level of confidence. Uh, but the the interesting part for me is that she says to Yellen, I wanted to call you. I feel badly about how things ended. And Yellen said, you know, none of that. You're just going to serve me. You're just going to wait on me now. Um, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in having that conversation. And she does do uh, a great job on Yellen's makeup. But she's not humbled by this in the least at all. It's not about her learning a lesson or, or, or anything like that. Yao Lin is still made out to be the bad guy in this situation. Yeah. Because Gabby says, you know what? I bet this is as good as it could possibly get for you, right? It's to see me humbled or, you know, doing serving you. But, you know, I'm not going to stay this way. I pulled myself out of nothing and I will get there again. And again, not saying anything about Gabby not getting back to where she was or, or exceeding that, but she she seems to have to put other people down to do that. Yes. I was my comment was she was smug and mean. Mm-hmm. I like that she's saying, like, I'm a bad bitch yeah. and I'm gonna make it back out For of sure. this. But like, why does her tone need to be so ugly? Yeah. And I don't I don't feel like that's I don't feel like that's the karma that Gabby needs to be carrying with her through this season of her life. Like, I think Gabby would be better off to be empowering other people and and being kind with her tone. Because I think she could use a little bit of that back. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Susan and Mike on their Valentine's date. That dress. Let's just take that a That dress. That was a negligee. I definitely have negligees that are less revealing. Um, that was a negligee with a side of bra strap and like the top part of bra hanging out. Like I just, I could never, ever in my whole entire life have I felt confident in myself enough to be comfortable to wear something like that. And Susan looked fantastic in it, but Wow, that's, I mean, it's a hazard, even just walking, or, like, what if you have to climb a, like, a What about step, getting out of the car? You know? Ooh, that's a, it's a wardrobe malfunction waiting It's impossible. To You'd have to have, like, a blanket on your lap while you're in yeah. the car, and then you'd have to yeah. use it to help yourself out of the car, and, yeah, it's just right. too much work. I'm not going to do it. And, and don't try to cross your oh, legs. Oh, gosh, no. I don't even know if I could put my ankles together it's it's impossible it's just it's it's impossible yes I refer to it as a micro mini but it's more like a negligee oh my goodness but it's beautiful that fabric give me something in that fabric but I need it to cover 86% of my body at least fair enough uh 
full pantsuit, full high, full turtleneck pants, long sleeve pantsuit in that. Bag. And the clumsiness of Susan is not lost on this moment as she bumps into a waiter. A woman bumps into Mike, and then we see blood coming out from his shirt. And Perfect he song. is. We can tell he's in pain. We can tell, and and it's going to be made worse by the conversation. Susan shares with him she's not ready to have another baby and wants to have a serious conversation. And she is not reading the no. room at all. No. But maybe she thinks Mike's uncomfortable because of the conversation. And I think that's how we're supposed to suspend disbelief. But at the same yeah. time, you would think that you would see the other person. Beads of yeah, sweat. that and I don't see cognition. I don't see you thinking as I'm doing that, maybe that's just right. a teacher thing. It's like I'm not sure. Your eyes are glazing over. This is this is certainly yeah. not going well. Also, you've been talking for more than five minutes, which is how I know nobody's listening. Right. I, I haven't checked for understanding. I haven't picked up on any cues in that time. Yeah, I haven't done any informal assessment. I have done an informal assessment. My informal assessment is that everything's going well, and that's wrong. <laughs> because if you keep talking, you must think everything's fine. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, so that's not going well. Over at no. Tom and Lynette's, they are having a romantic dinner at home, which I think is super kitsch, and Tom says that Lynette needs to apologize. Everybody's having real serious conversations over Valentine's Day dinner. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And one of Tom's arguments is actually an argument that I make in in multiple contexts about fire insurance, and it's you're right. I don't love this person, but it's very possible that I will need them at some point. I would like to think that I do these things just because they're the right thing to do. However, I do want my neighbors, we have new neighbors moving across the street and I keep like stalking them, waiting for them to be there at the same time that I'm there, that I could bring them over something to the point that I have mm-hmm. now bought cupcakes that went bad because I thought they had moved in last weekend and they weren't there for two days. So I think they're coming and going, you know, like you do when you buy uh, a house, I guess. I. Right. But nonetheless, I want to know that when my house is on fire, they will at least not so, light more matches that they'll call them. Yeah. That they'll kill. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to bring your cupcakes over in a basket that you ask them to? No, return? it'll be in a Sugar Jones box that you recycle. <gasps> Sugar Jones? Shut up, right? I love their cupcakes. Well, I know what you're getting for your next event. <laughs> They're so good. They're peanut butter <laughs> chocolate. Or their churro one. Have you had their churro cupcake? Chef's yes, indeed. Kiss. So good. And and their um, strawberry shortcake. And their Faustus, oh. which is uh, F-A-U-X yes. Hostess, like basically. Love yeah. all those. Yeah. yeah. I need to- good stuff. You guys have- they can send us some stuff. They can send us some stuff and they can sponsor the podcast. I used to, I used to work with a teacher who was um, – Somehow connected to the original owners of the Sugar Jones. Yeah. Okay, right on. Um, delicious. Delicious. And I am a cupcake connoisseur, so I will, when when you said cupcakes, I was like, oh, I wonder where she got them from. Sugar Jones? Yes. Great choice, yes. right? So again, yeah, Lynette does agree for the fire insurance. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So we like that she's going to make an effort. Also, Mrs. McCluskey's lonely. Like, come on. 
Yeah. You would think that she would have some level of sympathy for that alone. Right. So back to back to the micro mini negligee dripping blood dinner. Mike finally decides he needs to go and he is losing a lot of blood. Like that was a lot of blood. He held out as long as he could. And he falls down to the ground bleeding. Yes. Very, uh, very dramatic. Very dramatic. And you know what didn't make him bleed? The discussion of having children. Nope. That is not why. Sure. Didn't. Over at Rex and Bree's. Brie asks, so how does this domination thing work? And it almost breaks my heart, the level of light in Rex's eyes that she's really going to give this a try. He is so, he looks like a kid. Like, no lines in his face. Like, he's so animated and so excited to tell all about his collection of baseball cards. Like, that's the vibe that I got from him. I literally said, Rex brings out his box of tricks. Yes. Um... And he starts explaining a control word. I've only ever heard this as a safe word. Same. Okay. Yep. He had mistletoe, like from Four Christmases. It's mistletoe. I love it. His control word is Philadelphia. Bree says that her aunt Fern lives in Philadelphia, and she doesn't want to be thinking of her while he, she's spanking him with a leather with a leather. What you say? Crop. That's crop. not right. Is that right? Yeah, crop. Okay. Maybe. Um. So she suggests Boise, which Rex says is not serious. So Bree says, well, what about Palestine? <laughs> Sorry, I need to take that one again because I laughed through a lot of things. Um, but but Bree says, well, then how about Palestine? You know, I mean, she went, she went straight to serious. I mean, there's probably like a list of really hilarious safe words or it's probably like one of those things on facebook where take the month you were born and the street you lived on on in college and then you have your whatever name and i think about all of the safe words that could possibly be i think i would go back to like the originals with um 50 shades of gray that yellow is like Mm -hmm. your warning word and red is your safe Mm -hmm. word yeah but but nonetheless, he she's willing to try it, and Bree, um, and Bree's suggestion of Boise will be just fine as opposed to Palestine. Mm-hmm. However, Bree does uh, make the request that the handcuffs go through the dishwasher once. Fair. I think she doesn't know where they've been. Fair, and I think she would probably have done a better job if she hand washed them. But maybe she just has a better dishwasher than me. We know, Brie, back from the strippy burrito yeah. situation, that she's not, if she doesn't feel like it's clean, she's not going to be able to be in it. So good for her for saying, okay, this is what I need. But let's talk about the safe word thing again. Okay. Which do you think is the best word of the three? So my choices are Palestine, Philadelphia, or Boise. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with Philadelphia. Palestine does feel entirely too loaded for me. Right. Um, also, Rex, maybe don't give Brie the safe word you've been oh, using Oh, that's a great point. I don't want your mistress's safe word. Exactly. When he said that, I was like, Ugh. no, 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 no. Lately means you're still doing what you were doing. Yes. Most recently. Lately doesn't mean it's been a month since Maisie. You know? No, no, no. You're, you're. Yeah, that was that was bad. For Thank me. you for clocking that because that, that, yeah, that's yeah. terrible. 
I'm always out to get racks. I'm always out to nail them to the fence. I guess I would want my own box of tricks, too. I don't want to use the same stuff that you used with your last person. No, no, no. Even if it's expensive. That stuff... For it's sure. Like, I've done uh, I've done bachelorette parties and we've bought all sorts of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's expensive. That's not for me. That is not for me. Like I need it to be I need it to be not. Even even like in a second marriage situation, you bring a lot of stuff. Oh, I, I um, say, yeah. Like, we had we had our plates um from my first like my first marriage like wedding registry, like I love these mm-hmm. plates so much cuz I picked them mm-hmm. out. Like that's, you know, that's how it is. I picked them out. I loved them. I was the one who used them. I used them in my single single girl life. And Joe and I have been married almost 15 years now. And it was hard for me to get rid of those plates because I liked them. But then I was like, these are my plates that I got as a wedding gift to my ex-husband. Like, mm-hmm. th- like is loaded. that bringing bad juju? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's loaded. And I understand why. So for her to just ask for them to go through the dishwasher um, – I, yeah, definitely not an unreasonable um, ask. And second, mm-hmm. I would have asked for a whole new box of tricks. So actually, she's less high maintenance yeah. than me. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, over at the hospital, Susan overhears that the doc what the doctors are saying about Mike's gunshot wound and that it could not be self inflicted. And they question why he doesn't remember who stitched him up. I, again, that would be a question that you'd have to answer now that you're at the hospital. Um, yeah. But the the police are coming, so say the doctors, and we'll get they'll get all the answers that they need. Yes, and Susan goes into the hospital room and asks Mike about shooting himself. And Mike says he just wants to be with her, even if that means he can't be a dad. So I feel like he's kind of deflecting there. I mean, I think he's definitely trying to keep Susan around, but I feel like he's also deflecting. And two police officers show up and our girl Susan is not good at seeing the red flags. This is where I think your song. Mm, Me too. Like that should be playing in the background with a, with scrolling text of the lyrics. And she, he thanks her for being so understanding and she's just very quiet about it. I think that should be a sign to him that she's not buying this and that this is really an issue because otherwise I feel like she would be asking a lot of questions. This is out of character for her to be so sedate. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes. yes, as she leaves, two police officers enter. Can't wait to find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back on the lane, the Scavo boys are dressed up, and they look so cute in their little, their little frat boy couture, you know, <laughs> yeah. denims denim shirt with khakis um and they go and knock on mrs mccluskey's door they give her the clock back and they apologize and she invites them in for some tea Mm. she invites lynette in as well and lynette politely declines which i think that was good I, i wonder what lynette's reason was for declining was it because she wanted the boys to go handle it or because she didn't want to go engage with Mrs. McCluskey. Which do you think? I was? definitely think it's the latter. Because yeah. the way Karen McCluskey says, do you have anything to say, Lynette? Nope. I'm good. It's that abstinence, I feel like, that mm-hmm. absolutely cannot give any ground. I cannot give an inch to this person. And that's just part of Lynette, I think. Yeah. 
Well, Mrs. McCluskey invites them in and offers them peanut brittle. How do you feel about peanut brittle? So Is that- it's just too much for me. I always worry I'm going to chip a tooth. I know that that sounds ridiculous, I guess, but I am always cautious about that or anything that I have to like really chomp on. I don't, I don't know why, but it's, it feels like I would be like eating glass or something. I always feel like it's really sharp. Like when you bite into it, it's sharp and I'm afraid I'm going to get like a, like I'm going to stab through the back of my throat with it. It does. It's like little, uh, in Fraser they call it little shards of heaven uh, that they like it, but that, yes, it's dangerous and sharp and all the things. So no, yeah. but the boys do want it. I thought that was going to be a gag, like that old people are always giving you weird candy and you don't want to eat it, yeah. but they like it. So they're there for it. Yeah. Yeah. So they start asking her questions, looking around. Who's that picture of that kid on the mantle? She says that it's her son. Mm-hmm. And and they ask where he is. And she said, they're, and they're very blunt. Like they're so in character for a five-year-old. Yes. Like, well, where is he now? He died. Well, why? Because mm-hmm. he was sick when he was 12. And we see her being a little vulnerable. And I think that that opens up a, a big level of understanding for why she's so angry watching Lynette because she, I'm sure yeah. that what she's thinking is you're doing a shitty job. I didn't even get a chance to do that job. I mean, but she did because her kid was, we don't know when he got sick, she, but she he was older than was... these boys when he died. Yeah. Um... He died when he was 12. Okay. But we don't know how long he was sick. I don't think. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm sure that this is why she's so angry. But I mean, for a lot of times for people, anger comes from hurt, which mm-hmm. clearly this is where this is. And she has a really sweet moment with them where she tells them that what they did was wrong, but it was sweet that you wanted to get your mom a gift for Valentine's Day and tells them that no one will love them like they're, does she say that? Yes. Or does the narrator say that? You're no one will love you like your mom does. Mm-hmm. And and then, and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this could be a really great little story of a relationship with these three boys and this crotchety neighbor. Like I had, I had old people neighbors that I used to go visit and they used to teach me a new word like every (laughs) week in our neighborhood. So I'm like, Oh yay, It'll be like my, my people. Um, I can't even remember their names now, but, um, instead she opens the door and sees Lynette out there and puts her facade back up and says, get out of my house. Get the hell out to five and six year old. Oh my gosh. Get the hell out of my yeah, house. Yeah, she says, get the and hell Lynette, out. And and that, for Lynette, that's, you know, she's in character. That's that's what Lynette would have expected from her. And Lynette doesn't even have an idea of the sweet moment that her boy shared with Mrs. McCluskey. So, yeah. Lynette has more news to share with other residents of Wisteria Lane about her sons and their thieving. She goes over to Susan's house and she tells Susan that her children stole some jewelry from Mike's house. And Susan's confused, but Lynette shows the jewelry to, sorry, Lynette shows the jewelry to Susan. And in the ring on the inside, I think it was a bracelet. bracelet. It looked like it was, it looked like it was a bracelet. Okay. So on the inside of the bracelet that the boys apparently stole from Mike's house it says Martha Hoover. Ooh. Creepy Paul's dirty deed had he intended 
intended response. And it was quick, right? It, two two episodes Paul ago. Paul hit it, right? Didn't we watch Paul hit it like, in the garage it two episodes ago? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yes. So that's going to be hard to explain away, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's it. That's that's the that's the meat of the episode. Those are all of the things. So how are we how are we wrapping this up? What's our spinny spinny flashback recap? Yeah, our our recap ends up with Gabrielle returning home to Carlos, hugging him koala style and staring at herself in the mirror. Totally affectionate and at the same time a little bit self-absorbed with the mirror yeah. portion. And Bree um, takes the handcuffs out of the dishwasher, so we know Bree's gonna try. Bless her. Good for her. Mm-hmm. And Paul and Felicia smiling awkward slash sinisterly at one another. I'm really interested to know what's going to transpire between those two creepy creeps. They're perfect for each other. Mm, so creepy. So creepy. What a wild ride this week with love in yeah. the air. Well, next week we're heading to Impossible. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Until then, I'm Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.